Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 30. The Lodgers of Joyous Guard. Before we start today, I'd like to wish everyone a very, very happy new year. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast throughout 2013 and continue to listen during 2014. Also, the Christmas period has given me some improved recording equipment, so if you do see an improvement in the recording quality, I'd really like the feedback to let me know. So anyway, on with the chapter. Nothing much had changed for Sir Tristram of Lyons. He was in Cornwall with his Isoud, but King Mark clearly still wanted him gone, or preferably dead. He and Isoud couldn't be together properly, as she was still married to the king. It was a state of affairs which couldn't last, and Tristram knew it. He wondered when it would all collapse. In Camelot, King Arthur was feeling more content. Sir Tristram was alive and well in Cornwall, Sir Lamorak was off doing great deeds, and Sir Gaheris had recently been allowed to return to the Fellowship after serving his period of exile. Sir Eric had returned to his homeland, but was always ready to do the King's service if needed. Arthur, happy the round table was stable once more, began musing there hadn't been a good tournament recently that he and his knights could get their teeth into. Fortunately, just at that moment an embassy arrived from the country of Surluse, and announced the biggest tournament known in the land of Britain for many years. It was to last eight days. All of the knights of the round table, and many knights from further afield, gathered at the tournament field, ready for battle. Huddled in a pavilion on the edge of the field were five men. No prizes for guessing which five men. The Orkney brothers, whispering and conspiratorial, were obviously plotting. It seems, though, that all was not well in the Orkney clan. Geheris's slaying of their mother was a terrible deed, and this had caused the brothers to drift apart and disagree. After some heated debate, one of them stormed out and went to the battlefield. The others seemed to come to some agreement, but it was clear that they were not all of the same mind. The first day of the tournament arrived. Now, I could spend a whole chapter telling you about the various battles and who slew who and which knight knocked which other knight from his horse. I think, though that doing that would be very dull for you and for me, so I'm not going to. Let's just try and round it up quickly. Sir Dinadan did quite well, but Sir Palamedes did better. Sir Lamarack defeated Sir Palamedes, Sir Gaheris defeated King Bagdemagus, but then King Bagdemagus defeated Gaheris. At the end of the third day, Lamarack was in front, and everyone praised him except the Orkney brothers. Sir Palamedes defeated Sir Gaheris, Sir Agravain and Sir Mordred. At the end of the fifth day... King Arthur went up to Sir Lamorak and told him what a great knight he was. Arthur asked Lamorak if he would return to Camelot, but Lamorak wisely declined. He told the king he would continue to do him service, but would stay as far away from Sir Gawain and his brothers as he could. On the sixth day, Lancelot rose to the fore, defeating everyone who came at him, and Sir Palamedes killed another Saracen knight called Corbusin. Sir Gaheris defeated a knight from Surluse called Ossiers, and Sir Lamorak came to the rescue of his two brothers, Sir Dornand and Sir Aglaval, when they got into trouble. On the seventh day, Sir Lancelot dressed as a woman, and then took on Sir Dinadan. Of course, he won, and everyone had a good laugh at the jokey knight being defeated by a lady. At the end of the tournament, the prize was given to Sir Lancelot. The trophy for second place was carried off by Sir Lamorak, and third place went to Sir Palamedes. King Bagdemagus came in fourth. It was agreed by all that it had been one of the best tournaments ever, 
and all were happy. The top two knights bumped into each other as they were leaving. Sir, said Lancelot to Lamorak, come back to Camelot with us. I will ask the king to make sure Sir Gawain and his brothers do you no harm. Lamorak shook his head. Sir Gawain is an honourable knight, and I would trust him, but I don't trust his brothers. I don't think he can control them, and I wouldn't want to find a knife in my back when I least expected it. I think Gawain would fight honourably, but I'm not convinced all the rest of them would. Please remind King Arthur of my loyalty and good faith. Lancelot nodded and said no more. As he rode away, he couldn't help shedding a tear. All he could think about were Sir Lamorak's words. All he could picture in his mind was Sir Lamorak lying on the ground with a knife in his back. The next day, Sir Lamorak was found lying on the ground with a knife in his back. He was very dead indeed. Things were also coming to a head in Cornwall. Sir Tristram, at the behest of King Mark, entered a smaller tournament on the coast of Cornwall. Of course, there was no better knight for miles around, and Tristram claimed the prize. Even lesser knights need beating, though, and beating them never occurs without the receipt of a few wounds. He wasn't badly hurt, but needed a bit of treatment. King Mark rode over to his nephew and made a great fuss of him, telling him how sad it was that Tristram was hurt. Whether Tristram believed him or not, we can't be sure. Either way, he was tired and in pain and allowed himself to be led off by his uncle, who promised he would treat him his wounds personally. King Mark took Sir Tristram to a fine castle, where he fed him handsomely and then gave him a drink. Tristram gulped thirstily and set the cup down. Then he passed out and King Mark threw him into a dungeon. La Belle Isoude, quite understandably, wondered what had become of her knight. She sent Sir Sadoc out to look for him, and he discovered that Tristram was in prison. He went to see Sir Dinas the Seneschal, and both decided enough was enough. Mark had promised not to do Tristram any harm, and now he'd thrown the poor knight in jail. Dinas, despite being King Mark's Seneschal, agreed with Sir Sadoc that it was time to lead a revolt against the dastardly king. When King Mark learned of the rebellion, he was terrified. His knights and barons were none too keen on fighting for their king, and they told him so. If King Mark had had any sense at all, he would have released Tristram from prison and apologised to everyone. Of course, King Mark was well past common sense. He had spent so many years scheming that by this time, scheming was all he knew. He racked his brains to come up with a cunning plan, and pretty soon he thought he had the perfect solution. The next day, some letters arrived in Tristram's prison cell. They were letters from the Pope, asking King Mark to travel to the Holy Land and crusade against the Saracens. King Mark was asking Tristram to join him. Tristram, though, was completely fed up with King Mark and his treachery by now, and sent a message to the King, telling him there was no way that he, Tristram, was going anywhere just because Mark told him to. He was only going crusading, he said, if the Pope asked him personally. A few days later, a letter turned up from the Pope asking Tristram to go crusading. Tristram saw through it immediately. He was used to King Mark's trickery by now and immediately sussed that the letters were forgeries. King Mark's plan had failed. He had been hoping that a nice little trip to aid the Pope would distract the rebels and they'd change their mind. Things got even worse for King Mark when Sir Percival arrived in Cornwall and without any fuss rode over to the prison and freed Tristram. He then travelled to Tintagel and received a solemn oath from Mark 
that he would never again do Tristram harm. Mark put his best serious face on and swore the oath. Then he persuaded Sir Dinas and the rebels that he really was going to fight a crusade, and thus taking away his kingdom from him wasn't really on. Sir Dinas, honourable knight that he was, agreed. Mark thanked him seriously and promised good faith. Then he secretly had poor old Tristram thrown back into prison. This was the last straw for La Belle Isude. She secretly communicated with Tristram and agreed to arrange a ship to be made ready for them. Then she sent for Sir Dinas and told him that the evil King Mark had gone back on his word yet again. Sir Dinas ordered that Tristram be freed and King Mark imprisoned in his place. This was done and Tristram and Isude made swiftly for their waiting ship. They boarded the vessel and sailed for England. At last they were together and neither had any intention of returning to Cornwall whether King Mark was in charge or not. Sadly, we haven't heard the last of King Mark. King Arthur's court was still reeling at the murder of Sir Lamorak. It seemed that everyone knew who had done it, but nobody was prepared to do anything about it. Arthur was delighted to see Sir Tristram return to Camelot, and he welcomed the great knight with open arms. He declared that a great tournament would be held at Castle Lonazep on May Day in celebration. Sir Lancelot was even more pleased to see his friend and rival, and Tristram and Isoude were soon installed in a suite of rooms at Joyous Guard. Tristram and Isoude were happy at Joyous Guard. Lancelot was an excellent host and their rooms were luxurious and warm. At last the two lovers settled down to enjoy life together. If their happiness made Lancelot think more and more about his own forbidden love for Guinevere, he didn't show it. Every day Tristram went out hunting and every day he brought something back for dinner. In the backs of their minds, though, both Tristram and Isoude were uneasy. King Mark may have been in prison, but they knew how crafty he was. They were worried that one day he would come for them. Sir Percival returned from Cornwall, thinking that he'd been responsible for Sir Tristram's freedom. When he met with Sir Palamedes in a forest near Camelot, he was in for two nasty shocks. First, Sir Palamedes told him that King Mark had thrown Tristram back into prison as soon as Percival had left, and that Sir Dinas had actually finally released him. The second shock was much worse, though. Sir Palamedes told Sir Percival that his brother, Sir Lamorak, was dead. He also told him who did it and what had happened. Sir Knight, said Palamedes quietly, the brave Sir Lamorak had just received the second prize at the great tournament. He was alone gathering up his belongings and preparing to depart when he was ambushed by Sir Gawain and three of his brothers. They slew his horse so he couldn't escape. Sir Gawain challenged him to a fight with swords and they fought for many hours. When Gawain was exhausted, Sir Agravain took his place and Sir Mordred and then Sir Gaheris. For three hours the brave Sir Lamorak fought against them and I'm certain he would have beaten them but he was undone by a foul deed. As he battled valiantly for his life, Sir Mordred crept round behind him. Silently and dreadfully he raised his dagger. I'm sure he smiled as he plunged it into your poor brother's back. He died there and then. It is said that Sir Gawain and his brothers then had a terrible quarrel. I don't know why. Percival was inconsolable and rode away in tears. Just as Percival was riding back to Camelot, Sir Tristram was returning to Joyous Guard after his daily hunt. On his way, he encountered two of the Orkney brothers. Traitor knights, he snarled. You've murdered a fine knight. If I'd been there, then I would have stood next to him. Then you would have suffered the same fate, sneered Geharis. 
Agravain drew his sword and prepared to challenge Tristram. Tristram knocked the man with the hard hands from his horse and quickly did the same to Gaheris. Too honourable to kill them, Tristram let them pick themselves up, dust themselves down and ride away. He returned to Joyous Guard. There he met up with the good Sir Dinadan and the following morning they rode away together to find adventure. They hadn't been travelling for long when they encountered a knight-errant who seemed to be lost in his own melancholy thoughts. Sad or happy, it's the role of a knight-errant to offer to joust with any other knights that he meets along his way, and this knight was no different. Tristram grinned at Sir Dinadan and told his good friend that he had the honour of going first. Dinadan rode hard at the knight-errant, but he was no match for the stranger. He was thrown from his horse. He wasn't badly hurt, and he sprung up and drew his sword. Before beginning the fight, he demanded to know who the stranger knight was. I am Sir Gareth of Orkney, younger brother of Sir Gawain. Sir Dinadan and Sir Tristram stiffened. Although they knew Gareth was the only one of the Orkney brothers who hadn't taken any part in the slaying of Sir Lamorak, they were wary of him. They knew him to be a fine and honourable knight, but he was still one of the Orkney clan and he loved his brothers. They weren't sure they could trust him entirely. They didn't have too much time to think about it, though, as another knight rode into view. As befits a knight-errant, he offered the three knights a joust. Sir Gareth took up the challenge first. The largest and strongest of the Orkney brothers had a formidable reputation for jousting and was not very often beaten. It was quite a surprise, then, when he was thrown from his horse with some force by the challenging knight. Tristram turned to Dinadan. Your turn. I think not. Okay, coward knight, scoffed Sir Tristram. Since your heart and courage fail you, I suppose I'll have to take him on myself. Tristram withdrew, and the knight waited for him. Then they both charged. The force of the blows of the two knights was such that the sound carried for a mile. It was the knight errant who was thrown from his horse. Tristram, through an amazing demonstration of balance, managed to stay mounted. He then sprang from his saddle just as the other knight was drawing his sword. Before fighting, he demanded to know the name of his opponent. I am Sir Palamedes. Tristram nearly laughed. Which knight do you most hate? he asked. Why, I hate Sir Tristram of Lyons, and the day I next meet him, one of us will die. This time Tristram did laugh. OK, do your worst. I am Sir Tristram of Lyons. Sir Palamedes' head dropped. You know what, he said. I'm tired of all this feuding. I can spend my days questing for the strange beast and I don't need to bear you any further ill will. The Lady Asud loves you and not me. It's time I accepted that and got on with my life. Tristram, forgive me. From this day on I will do you service. I repent of all of my ill will. You are a good and noble knight. I like to think that I am also a good knight and it is not right for two good knights to feud. Tristram took off his helmet and smiled warmly. Sir Palamedes, you have spoken well. It's time for us to come together in service. The two knights rode on together and talked of many things. Dinadan and Gareth, both lost in their own thoughts, followed. Having made a stop at Joyous Guard for a hearty meal and to collect a few spears, they began to ride towards the castle Lonazep in order to attend the tournament. As they rode up, they spoke about the great deeds done at the last one. Sir Palamedes boasted about how many knights he had overthrown and how he had beaten thirty or more with his sword. He told them he had won third prize, and only two of the greatest knights had done better than he had. 
Sir Tristram had been in prison at the time and had missed the action. He turned to Palamedes. Who was the best? he asked. It was Sir Dinadan who spoke. The best was Sir Lancelot, but only just. The dead Sir Lamorak was almost as mighty. It is a disgraceful thing that a fine knight of the round table should be killed by his fellows. I am very distressed by his death, and if the assassins were not nephews of King Arthur himself, then I would find them and kill them. I know you were not there, Sir Gareth, but I fear going back to court now that you know how I feel. Gareth nodded sadly. Yep, I do understand how you feel. I also understand the desire of my brothers for vengeance, but what happened was evil, and I left their company because of it. I wanted no part in killing Lamorak, despite the fact that his father killed ours, and he acted wickedly with our mother. Sir Gawain promised the fight would be honourable, but Sir Mordred is made of something darker. The Honourable Gawain cannot seem to influence him to be better, and his actions are driving my family apart. Agravain seems to be led by Mordred, while Gaheris still retains some of his honour. I will take no part in it. I love my brothers, especially the loyal and brave Sir Gawain, but I will not be drawn into villainy. Tristram nodded sagely and patted the young knight on his shoulder. There was nothing left to say. The four knights rode north in silence. Next time, we'll find out what happened when they got there. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.